this past Tuesday at our staff meeting, um, usually at staff meeting I teach for a little while and then we have worship and prayer, but I had a sense um, that there was just some warfare going on and so I did a really short little teaching on who we are in Christ and how we're in a war and we went into worship and um, there was a, really a, a spirit, a prophetic gift that was released on Tuesday and during that time different people were having different pictures or prophetic words uh, and one came specifically directed to me and my family. But the second I heard it, I realized it wasn't just for our family, it was for our family. Right? It wasn't just the parish family, it was the New Life Church, the extended family. And I believe it's a word of the Lord to us as a church and to many of you as individuals this morning. And the word was this, Isaiah 43 verse 18, forget the former thing. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, I I believe this is a prophetic word to us corporately and to many of you individually. And here is the core of the word. This This is the big idea of what God is saying. He's saying you cannot live in the past because God is doing something new. He's doing a new thing. You can't afford to live in the past. You can't go on yesterday's manna. You can't survive on spiritual nostalgia for the good old days. Way back when, when God used to do that. No, grace is for today, not yesterday. And God is doing something new. And the text says, now it springs up. Not in in six months, but, but right here, right now, God is doing something new because he is not the great I used to could. He is the great I am. And he's doing something new. So I want to unpack this very quickly for us today. Let's just unpack. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 43. Uh, And the core of the prophetic word starts in verse 18, but we're going to back up to verse 14 because the word actually starts there. And let me give you the context. The context is that the people of God are in exile, all right? Uh, And there's some debate on when this part of Isaiah was written, but it's either written before they went into exile or while they were in exile or after they got out of it. But either way, the context is exile. And, and, and here's what happened. God had promised them they were going into the promised land. He brought them into the promised land. But because of sin, they were brought out and they went into exile. And now they are broken. They are fallen. They're desperate. They're experiencing sorrow. They're experiencing shame for their sin. And in the middle of that darkness... And I want you to hear this because I think there are some people here today that maybe you would say, I'm, I'm in a dark place this morning, Tim. You don't, you don't understand I'm in a dark place. Well, this was written to people in a dark place. And in the middle of that dark place, God makes a promise. He says, I'm going to do a new thing. And I'm going to bring you out of exile. And now I've already started the new thing. I mean, they're still in exile. They're still in the dark place. But he's saying, don't you see it? Right now I'm doing a new thing. And so there's four questions I want to ask very quickly this this morning. I don't have three points this morning. I have four questions, not to be confused with four points. Four questions. The questions are who, what, why, and how. Okay, so who's saying this word? What is the actual word? What what is the prophetic word in this? What, What is he saying to Israel and what is he therefore saying to us? Number three, why is he saying this? And number four, how is he going to do this? So let's look at these questions. Number one. Who? Who's talking here? 
Because it matters who's giving us this word, right? On, on Tuesday, when, when Kevin gave that word, Kevin Wu was the one that gave that word, uh, and he was speaking directly to me. You know, it's one thing for Kevin Wu to give me a word. It's another thing for God to be speaking to me through Kevin. I mean, I love Kevin, but he ain't Jesus. Right, so I want to know, was that, was that, is that him or is that God speaking to us? Because there's a lot of other voices out there in the world that are talking incessantly, trying to convince you of a whole bunch of nonsense. So is this just another voice in the world that doesn't really matter? I mean, what I'm saying to you this morning, if this is my opinion, it doesn't. I mean, what's the big deal? Right? In the words of Groucho Marx, these are my opinions. If you don't like them, I have some other ones. Uh, but, you know, preaching isn't the, the pastor getting up there giving you his opinion. Preaching is saying what God says. Preaching is proclaiming what God has done. It don't matter what my opinion is. It matters what God's opinion. Hey, did you remember that commercial? There was a meteorologist, a local meteorologist, and, and there would be a commercial, and people say, well, is it supposed to rain today? I don't know. What's Jay say? You remember that commercial? What's Jay say? You know, and they would go back, I don't know. What's Jay say? Listen, it don't matter what Jay say. It matters what God says. So who is this word coming from? Well, let's look at it. Verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Now, if you've been around New Life for a while, you know, if, if you're reading in the Old Testament and, and it, has a, it says the word Lord and it's capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, that is the covenant name for God. Um, you know, there's different names for God in the Old Testament. If it's capital L with small O-R-D, it means Adonai. It's translating the word Adonai, which means Lord. But if it's the capitals, it's, it's the word, well, we don't know how to pronounce it. It's Y-H-W-H. It's the covenant name of God. And every time in the Old Testament when God is revealing his character or he's revealing his plan of salvation, he uses this name, Yahweh, or Y-H-W-H. And that's the name here. So what he's saying is this is what I'm about to reveal to you is a part of our covenant right here. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. For I am the Lord, again, covenant name of God, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. So who's talking here? It's the covenant God who's made a covenant with us. It's the creator God. And by the way, a lot of people, a lot of times when we think of the doctrine of creation, we think it's a past tense thing that like the doctrine of creation is, well, God created the universe way back when. That is not the doctrine of creation. The doctrine of creation is that God is creative, which means he's always creating. See, way back when he created something out of nothing. There was nothing and he created the universe. So here's the good deal. He's still the creator. So if you see a big nothing in your life, keep on looking because he can give you something for your nothing. He didn't stop creating way back then. It's who he is. It's what he does. So he says, listen, I'm doing a new thing. Why? Because I'm creative. I'm constantly. And then he says, and by the way, I'm the king. Meaning I rule over the Babylonians. So, so there's some credibility here, because if I say, who's saying this word? Well, it's the, it's the covenant God, it's the creator God, it's the king God. And, and, and it's not just that it gives credibility to what he's saying, but here's what I want to know. Does the speaker of this word have the power to do what he promised? I mean, he's making a big promise. This is a pretty big promise. He's saying, I'm going to take you out of exile. I'm going to do something new. That dark place that you're in right now, that place of suffering, the place of pain, 
that place of sorrow, the, the place of shame and embarrassment because you failed, you sinned, and you're in this trouble because of what you did, that place, I'm going to take you out of there. And what I want to know is, can he actually do it? Or is he like one of those salesmen who's like, oh, yeah, we can do that. And next week, they're like, oh, no, that's going to take about three more weeks. You know what I'm talking about? The, the over-promising and under-delivering sort of sales. I want to know, does, is, is, this, is, is this person talking like that? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you out, but they're not really? Does he have the power to do it? Some time ago, I got a, a bill from a certain organization that will remain nameless. And they sent this bill, and it was incorrect, in my humble opinion, which I highly regard. And I, 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 so I called them. And I needed to talk to him. this lady, answered the phone. She was very cordial and very nice. And I, we were trying to tell her that there was a problem with the bill. And I was trying to explain this. And she was like, oh, you know. And she was talking to stuff. And finally, I, I got to the point where I just said, may I ask with whom I'm speaking? Because I want to know, does she have the power to fix my bill? I didn't want to be rude. I, didn't, I wasn't rude. You know, how, you know, as Christians, we don't need to be rude on the phone with people. All right? But I just said, I, I just need to talk to somebody who's got the power to fix my bill. With all due I'm sure you're a wonderful lady, but I need to talk to, I mean, who's the boss, right? I, and I don't know if you need to talk to your manager or the vice or the CEO of the company. Give me somebody who's got the power to change things. And so here's what God says in the very next verse, verse 16. This is what the Lord says, again, covenant name of God. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now that's an obvious reference to the Exodus, right? You remember the story of Exodus, Moses, nation of Israel. They're going up and they got the Red Sea in front of them. What are you going to do? That's an impossible situation. They turn around and, and the devil's right there. I mean, there's the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army are right there. And God speaks to Moses and says, move forward. And he's like, where? There's a Red Sea right there. And you remember the story. It opens it up. They go across on dry land. Pharaoh and his army try to follow and it comes crashing back in. That's what he's referring to. And the point of it is, God is saying, I delivered you then in what looked like a worse situation than what you're in now, and I buried your enemy under the water. I took the impossible situation in front of you and used it to be what I would use to defeat the enemy behind you. So what's the point? The point is, this isn't just talk. This is coming from the one and only person who has the power to actually change things in your life. So maybe you're here today and you feel like you're in an impossible situation. I, I want you to know this word is coming to you from the one and only person who has the power to do what he said. No matter what your situation is. He can take you out of whatever captivity you're in. If you feel like you're in a captivity to a sin, you're in a captivity to a situation or a brokenness or whatever. He has the power to take you out of exile. That's who is speaking. He's got my attention now. So what is he saying? That's the second question. What is the actual word? What was God actually saying to Israel and then by extension to us? We'll look at the text again, verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Just stop right there for a second. It is possible to be so caught up in your past that you miss what God is doing right now. 
In fact, it is possible that some of you listening to me right now are so focused on what's happened in your past, you're not even hearing the word of the Lord right this moment. It's very possible. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Now, in some ways, this is a bizarre word, right? Doesn't doesn't this feel kind of bizarre? Because he's telling them to forget the former things and not dwell on the past, but he just cited the exodus, i.e. the past, as evidence of why you should listen to what he's saying. What's going on here? Well, here's what I think God is saying. I think it's something like this. I do not want you to be a prisoner of your past. I don't want you to be a prisoner of your past. Far too many Israelites then, far too many of us today live as prisoners of our past, and it paralyzes our present. Now, it can be a negative past, right? And the Israelites, they had made colossal blunders in their past. I mean, some really big sins in their past. Can you imagine? I mean, here is the Red Sea open, you know, you know, the enemy's coming. The Red Sea opens up in front of them. They walk through on dry ground. They get to the other side. The enemy comes in. It comes crashing down. And they see the deliverance. Like, I kind of, I don't know. I feel like if we saw that, like, I'd be good. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like, don't you? I mean, like, come on. If, if soldiers came in here today and they were, and they were like, we're going to kill all of you, New Life Church. And right then, you know, I, you know, I held out the, the, the pulpit stand, like, you know, the rod of Moses. And the middle aisle split open. All the guys, the soldiers fell in there. And then it closed back. And they're all dead. How would that affect our worship service? I don't know, but I'm feeling like I might go, I'm good, whatever you want to do. I, I, you want to go long? I'm good with that. Really, I just, I'm fine. By the end of the next chapter, they're complaining. Not next year. The next day. The very next chapter, they're complaining. Now, I mean, and it's not just that. I mean, Moses goes up on the mountain. He gets, you know, the, the, the commandments and what, what happens. They're down there making a gold calf. You know, I don't know. We put the gold in there and the calf jumped out. I don't know. It was crazy. You know, and, and I mean, I, 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 that God brought them into the promised land and they sin and lose it. They had colossal blunders in their past. But before we judge them too quickly, how many times have we done the same thing? How many times has God provided for us and then we turn to somebody or something else for our identity? And God was saying to Israel, listen, guys, yeah, you got some colossal blunders in your past. Do not let your failures, do not let your sins, do not let your mistakes of your past chain you to the past. Forget them. Do not dwell on the past. Those mistakes are not who you are. I have made you. God is saying, I have made you. I am your creator. I am your redeemer. And I decide who you are. And look, can we just be honest for a second? All of us have made colossal blunders. I mean, I know at church, you know, you, you got to come in and try to look a certain way and everything, but. The truth is, we all have things in our past 
where we made mistakes, we sinned, we failed. And the enemy of your soul would like to chain you to that mistake. The enemy of your soul would like to steal your future based on your past. And God says, don't let him do it. I am the redeeming God. I am the creating God. I'm the one who makes things new. You don't have to be defined. You don't have to be chained by that past. So it might be a negative past, but it might be also a positive past. See, Israel not only experienced colossal blunders, they also experienced the most dramatic miracles in history. The problem was they're now living on a past blessing. They were locked into the prison of a positive past. They had stopped looking forward and living with expectation that God's still alive and he still does stuff. See, when you try to live in the past, even if it's a positive path, you, you, past, you, your faith is limited by your memory of what God did way back then. And here's what happened to Israel, and it happens to us today. They turned these glorious, mind-blowing miracles that God had done into a straitjacket into which every other act of God was now going to be forced. And as a result, it made them unable to see when God was doing a new thing. I mean, Jesus came, John chapter 1 says, Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. They didn't even recognize him. They took their positive past and said, this is the way God has to do it. And God is saying, listen, I'm the God who did all that. I'm the God who did the exodus. And because I'm the creator, I can do it again. But I can do a new thing today. Remember what I did, but forget how I did it because I'm doing something new. You've, you've probably all read the book Prince Caspian or, or seen the film in Chronicles of Narnia. And there's a poignant scene in this, in this book and, and, and the movie. It's in the movie, too. When Lucy, you know, finally gets to encounter Aslan in this book for the first time. And, and she sees him, and she's so excited to see him. And, and she thinks Aslan's going to come and just take over and all that. And Aslan says, okay, I'm going to go send you back. You need to tell the other people that you saw me. And she's like, no, I don't want to. I thought you were going to come in and roar like last time and just defeat all the enemies. And Aslan looks at her and says, dear child, things never happen the same way twice. In other words, he was still going to deliver them. He was still going to win the battle for them. But this time, it was going to require something of Lucy. Things never happened the same way. I mean, think of all the ways that Jesus did miracles in the New Testament. I mean, think when he laid hands on somebody one time, he spoke a word on another occasion. He cast out a demon to heal somebody. He stuck his fingers in a dude's ear. He walked on water. He, he took bread. He blessed it, broke it, multiplied it. He... One, one time, Jesus spit on the ground, made mud, and slapped it in a brother's eye. Can you imagine if I did that today? Can you imagine if somebody come up here and say, I, I have a financial need, I need you to pray for me. Well, give me your wallet. Dude, and then I went. What, what do you think people would think? I think they'd be kind of upset. Unless they got their need met. In which case, you, all y'all would be lining up here with your wallets saying, Hockaloogie away, Pastor. Let's just. Here's my point. God moves in different ways at different times, but he's still God and he still does miracles. Don't try to force the move of God into the form he used in 1970. 
or 1980 or any other. And listen, I appreciate what happened in the 70s and the 80s charismatic movement. I do. But guess what? We don't serve the 70s God. We serve a risen, living, creative, dynamic God who's alive today. And God's calling us as New Life Church and me in particular to a faith that isn't limited to the past, negative or positive. He's calling us from memory to expectancy. To actually believe he's alive. To actually believe that he does new things. So forget the past. Guys, there's a danger of romanticizing the past and, 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 and thinking of the past as better than it was. Because if you do, you miss out on the new thing God is doing. And I know, I know there's some people here who's like, you don't know what kind of darkness I'm in right now, Tim. I'm in a spiritual desert. Listen, that's precisely the context that this word came to Israel. A desert. They were in exile, the desert of all deserts. And God says, forget the past. Don't dwell. I'm doing a new thing. I'm bringing water in the desert. Forget the former thing. And in the New Testament, Paul says it this way. Philippians 3, verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Don't be a prisoner of the past. Why? We serve a God that makes new things. He's alive, and he does new things, and he makes us new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That's who you are. Then you get to the end of the book, and Revelation 21, 5 says this, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We serve a God who sits on the throne. Which means he's in charge. And he makes new things. And God is speaking that to us. Don't you perceive it? E- even in this moment, in your life, don't you, don't you perceive what God is doing? In a, in a few moments, we're going to have an altar time. And I, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what new thing he's doing in us as new life. But in you, in, in, in your life, in your marriage, in your family. He's creative. Then there's the why. Why would God do this? This is important. Just stick with me. And these, the, the third and fourth question will be much shorter. Number three is why. Why is God going to do this new thing? Why is he going to deliver Israel out of this dark, barren exile, this desert? Why is he going to do that? Here's the answer. Not because they earned it. That's the answer he gets. Not because they're perfect. In fact, next, look at the next verse, verse 22. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You've not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You've not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You've not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, for that encouragement. I just really... Here's my point. They hadn't earned deliverance. They didn't deserve deliverance. They weren't perfect. In fact, they had damaged themselves. The exile was a result of their own choices. It was self-incarceration. I came across an article this week that was actually, it came out back in April. I just read it this this week. It was of a a Dutch F-16 fighter pilot. And and the F-16 that he was flying was shot down by a 20-millimeter cannon 
uh, because the F-16 is, is um, armed with a Vulcan Gatlin gun, a 20-millimeter cannon that can fire 6,000 rounds a minute that travel at a muzzle velocity of 3,450 feet per second, okay? So it fires these, it doesn't carry 6,000 rounds, but it can so only fire for a few seconds. But when the rounds come out, they're going at 3,450 feet per second. The problem is the plane can go faster than that. So this F-16 fires it, and when the bullets go out, they're coming at that speed, but because of the atmospheric pressure, you know, they begin to slow down, but the plane can actually speed up. And what this pilot did, this Dutch pilot of the F-16, he fired like a two-second burst of bullets, and then he hit the afterburners and sped up and shot himself down. I mean, he survived, he lived, so it's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, it was expensive for the Dutch government, though. Here's my point. That's what Israel did. They shot them. Hey, that's what we do. Sometimes we shoot ourselves down. Devil don't even have to do much because we do it for him. I, later in this story, I'm not even going to go to verses 26 to 27, but God goes, okay, let's review your family history. It's not just this generation that's had a problem or the last one. Since the very beginning, Adam or Abraham, I don't know which one he's talking about. Either way, it doesn't matter. They've all screwed up. Have you ever noted the, the Bible is a very earthy book? I mean, it reveals and details the sins of the so-called heroes of the faith. No matter how pious they were, no matter how important they were, the Bible reports their sins unabashedly, like embarrassing sins. Why? Because it's all about grace. The only reason any of us are here today is grace. The gospel is you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It's not what you did, it's what he did. So the reason God is doing this new thing, and the reason he's going to set them free from exile has nothing to do with them being perfect. It has nothing to do with them being so wonderful or good enough or because they earned it. No, no, no. It's all because he's a gracious God and he alone is Savior. And that leads to one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible, verse 25. I, listen to this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He doesn't just forgive your sin once, but continually and forever so that he cannot even remember it. I'm going to say that again. I want you to let this in. He says, I remember your son. He doesn't just forget. Okay, it's just what. He forgives you continually and forever so that he does not even remember it. Let me just ask this question. If God forgets the sins of your past, why do you keep bringing them up? Or when Satan brings it up, why do you entertain it? Forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Why? Because I'm God. He's saying, I'm God. I am creative. I do new things. And guess what? I act by grace. And that leads to the how. How's this going to happen, God? How are you going to do this? How are you going to bring us out of exile? And, and in your situation, you may have the same feeling. You don't know how dark this situation is. I have no idea how this is going to happen. Well, what does he say? He says to the exiles, because they're not free. They're not economically powerful. Okay, they're not in positions of political power. They're not invited to the decision-making table. 
by literally every single possible measurement, there is no way this can happen. There is no way they can be delivered from exile. How is it going to happen? Verse 1 of the very next chapter, which is part of the same word, says this. But now, listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. This is what the Lord says. Again, the covenant name of God. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, who, and who will help you, do not be afraid. Now look what he says here, real quickly. Let's unpack it. Number one, he said, I picked you. You're chosen. He said, I have chosen. Listen, your mistakes and failures do not erase God's choice. God picked you. He chose, you're chosen. Listen, if God only anointed the perfect people, wouldn't nobody be anointed? If God chose only the perfect people, nobody would be chosen. Your mistakes do not erase God's choice. Yeah, I listened to Brother Charles the other day, and he, had this, you know, he brought this up. He said, you know, Peter denied Christ three times. Not like just didn't, wasn't a bold witness, was like an anti-witness. Weren't you with him? No, I don't know. I don't even know that guy. In fact, I'm going to say a cuss word. Fifty days later, he's the main speaker on the day of Pentecost. Because his mistake didn't erase God's choice. Man, I I tell you what, if it had been in church in America today, Peter wouldn't have been preaching 50 days later. No, no, no. He ain't going to be preaching 50 years later. You know, sometimes the worst place to screw up is at church. Sometimes, some churches, God forbid it be new life, in some churches you got a better chance of getting grace at a local bar than you do at church. Because of that, you know what? Because of that, we try to hide stuff, don't we? I do. So don't look at me like you don't. Okay. He said, I picked you. I made you. I formed you in the womb. And, and that's on a, that picture of being formed in the womb is on a deep, intimate level. I made you in the womb, and I will help you. This is God Almighty saying, I, how are you going to get out? I'm going to help you. Therefore, do not be afraid. Reject all fear. We really get fearful of a lot of things, don't we? And, and, and some of them are real. And listen, sometimes we go through some scary, scary stuff, and, 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 there, and, and fear tries to come in. But a lot of times, we're afraid of stuff that's just a tactic of the devil for intimidation. I came across another story this week. It was in Washington County uh, in the state of Oregon. A lady was home alone, and uh, she uh, was in bed when she saw somebody moving, the shadows of somebody moving in her bathroom. And the door was closed. This would be scary. So she sneaks out. She gets her cell phone. She runs downstairs. She calls 911. The sheriff's office comes in. They bring the canine unit. There they go. They come to the bathroom door. They got the dog ready. They got their weapons drawn. You know, and they're saying, come out. You know, put your hands up and come out. And, and, and the person just keep walking back and forth, walking back. Come out. Come, you know. And this, this person is not coming out. So they kick the door down to discover a Roomba machine <laughs> vacuum cleaner. The bathroom was very clean. You know what? Sometimes sometimes we get scared of stuff and it ain't nothing but a Roomba. Yeah, now sometimes, now sometimes we there's some really scary stuff in our life, but guess what? Compared to the almighty creative one who made everything and makes things new, it's all a Roomba. 
I mean, if you got a test, young people, you got a test in school, like you're getting scared of it, it ain't nothing but a Roomba. Hey, you know, sometimes we ought to just tell ourselves that. You got this, it ain't nothing but a Roomba. Reject fear because he said, I'm the creative one. I made you. I formed you. I make stuff new. Don't be afraid. And then he, and then he tells us how he's going to do it. And this is the key. And we'll be finished. Verse 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit. That's it. That's the answer. This is what God is saying. Here's, how's this going to happen, God? I'm going to pour out my spirit. And look at the rest of it. On your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. Just by way of side note, this is actually not a bad thing to pray for your kids. You know what? My descendants are going to take the name of the, and if they're the kind of kid that gets a tattoo, they're going to tattoo the Lord's. They belong to the Lord. I, I pray that over our children, that they'll pop up like grass in a meadow, poplar trees by flowing streams, and say, I belong to the Lord. So how's that going to happen? By my spirit. By my spirit. It's not by your brilliance or your good looks. Though you guys are good looking. It's not by your effort. It's not by your perfection. It's not by your performance. It's not your political party. It's not your clever, articulate sermon. It's not your elocution or your strength. It's not a faddish methodology that's trendy and hip. It's by his spirit. And you say, really, it's that simple? It's that simple. So the invitation to you right now, if you're in that place, is to open yourself up to his spirit right now.